Hello there, and a very warm welcome to episode seven of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shalat, and I'm delighted to welcome Alex Barker back to the podcast. How are you, Alex? I'm very good, my friend. Happy to be back on two weeks in a row. Pleasure to have you. And we've also got uh, Rafael Adelugba. How are you doing, Rafael? I'm good, thank you, Neil. Um, I hope you and Alex are well. And yeah, it's been quite a busy day. Quite a few transfers, quite a few surprising ones, and can't wait to get into it. Indeed, there's been loads of transfers, and that's probably going to dominate the agenda on the podcast. But as ever, it's the Monday episode, so uh, we'll first quickly talk about some of the games uh, that happened this weekend, some big results, some interesting results, uh, loads to discuss, really, loads to, to look back at. And of course, uh, as Rafael said, lots and lots of transfers, which we will get to at the end. But uh, first up, we've got the games, as I said, we've got mainly the Bundesliga, Eredivisie, bit of Swiss Super League, and then loads to quickly shout out. So, let's get into it. Alright, uh, let's start in Germany. Uh, let's start with uh, the Berlin Derby, which was arguably the biggest game over there this weekend. Uh, Hertha against Union, of course. We haven't had too many of these derbies, uh, historically speaking, because Union were only promoted uh, to the Bundesliga for the first time in their history a couple of years ago. Uh, and maybe we won't be having too many of them uh, in the future too, or at least in the near future. But that's not, not because Union are going down. It's because the supposed big city club, Hertha, uh, looks set to be relegated uh, this season. Uh, of course, Hertha have invested a lot uh, in recent years. Uh, they, they certainly have had good financial backing. That's not been an issue. But their investment hasn't been the cleverest, uh, to put it nicely. And uh, I think that their uh, league position, not just this season, but in, in, in recent seasons, uh, Tells you all about how, how how that project has been going. Of course, last season they only survived uh, via the relegation playoff uh, against Hamburg, uh, and in a match, not a match, but overall on the, on the course of the season, I would argue that it, Hamburg perhaps deserved that Bundesliga place more than them. Uh, but of course, that's that's the way the playoffs work, uh, and for, for, they they perhaps got a bit lucky here in staying up last season, but but they aren't making anything of that luck because they're currently way down in second uh, bottom, so they're in the direct relegation zone at the moment, whereas Union are second, but from the top of the table, they are just one point below Bayern Munich uh, after this derby win, which uh, at this point seemed a predictable result. I believe uh, Union have won the last uh, seven straight uh, Berlin derbies, is it now? And I think that that says it all about how the power shift has been uh, within between these two Berlin clubs. Of course, Union, uh, were uh, about uh, three points behind Bayern uh, before this weekend. But now that gaps down to one point on the top, as I said. Uh, and that's because Bayern have slipped up. Uh, Alex was watching them uh, against Frankfurt. What did you see, Alex? Yeah, I saw a Bayern side that looked pretty frustrated on the night. It was a third one more, or third draw in a row. And I was listening to uh, Raphael Honigstein, famous German pundit, um, 
saying how Bayern Munich, they're really kicking themselves down at the moment. Uh, this is before they drew. So it's absolutely unacceptable. I think their sporting director, uh, Salih Hamovic, Hamazamovic, I've butchered his name, but we all know who he is. He um, get, went into the dressing room after their last draw and said, you're not taking this seriously. We need to win the Bundesliga. We're not going to win the title. And now they've just suffered to Frankfurt. Uh, they actually really dominant throughout the first part of the game, but the second half, things started to turn against them. And I think we should take the moment to highlight Randall Kolomwani, who's lighting social media on fire at the moment. I think everyone's really praising him. He's now got uh, 10 assists and seven goals in the Bundesliga. He's really overperforming his expected goals and assists, particularly expected assists. You might be able to see that come down. But his goal this game was great. He received like a no-look pass from Daichi Kamada and rifled a, a shot in on his left foot. And I think the, the thing I really like about the 24-year-old is how um, he seems like such a selfless player. He's so happy to run the channels. He's so happy to try and take someone on. He's completed nearly two dribbles per 90 now in the Bundesliga. He feels like the most selfless but well-rounded forward. And I saw a lot of Manchester United fans getting really sort of, you know, pinning their hopes on him, saying maybe we could target him in the summer. I think he'd be amazing for them. Yeah, he's definitely one of the stars in the making. Of course, uh, he, he we all saw him at the World Cup for France. Of course, he had that big miss uh, late on as well but as you say he's been lighting up the Bundesliga only joined uh, Eintracht Frankfurt this summer of course he was uh, at Nantes uh, in France before uh, and yeah he looks like he's uh, destined for big things but uh, for now let's move over uh, to the Netherlands but I, I mean we've been talking about the Eredivisie for the last three weeks now uh, and the idea of this podcast is to not keep going on about one league over and over again but like I, I, we just can't help it because it's absolutely mad what's going on there. Saturday, what is it? Uh, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. AZ 5, Utrecht 5. 10 goals in that game. Absolute madness. So, Utrecht are, of course, uh, about 7th going into the game. They're, they're uh, in, this, in the fight for the European playoff places. Uh, and, of course, AZ are at the top of the table, uh, close to the top of the table, as we've discussed. They had the chance, in fact, to go to the top of the table, uh, at least temporarily, if they won here. What they managed to do was concede two goals rather early, go 2 nil down. Then they scored three in quick succession. So by the 40th minute, they were 3-2 up. By halftime, it was 3-3. Second half, equally as mad, as frantic as the first. Uh, Utrecht looked better. They had a goal ruled out for offside, but then they scored anyway. Uh, and then... Azed equalized, Azed went 5 foot up uh, fairly late on. And then I think the last goal was in the 84th minute for the 5 5. Uh, and, and that's how the game ended. Two hat tricks, both uh, from Greek strikers uh, Anastos, Anastosius uh, Duvikas for uh, Utrecht and Evangelis uh, Pavlidis for Azed. Absolute insane game. I, I can't remember watching a more end-to-end goal fest well I I, I actually can't remember (laughs) a crazier game than this of course the World Cup final was mad but that 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 had extra time in 90 minutes I genuinely cannot remember uh, a more uh, crazy game Uh, but of course there was much more than just this in the Eredivisie Uh, over uh, in Amsterdam uh, Ajax of course uh, sacked uh, their previous manager Alfred Schroeder uh, in midweek, as we discussed, 
Uh, and for now, it's uh, a certain Johnny Heidinger, who some of you might have uh, heard of from his playing days, who's taking interim charge. Of course, he's also in charge of uh, their youth, one of their youth sides. Uh, he's, he's got off to a decent start. He, they won, uh, finally, their, I believe, what is it, their first in eight Eredivisie games, certainly the first since late October 2022, uh, that they've won an Eredivisie game. Uh, 4-1 away at Excelsior. They Obviously, scoreline makes it look like they could have done relatively comfortably, but that's not necessarily the case. They did score first, uh, but then Excelsior, who are, of course, uh, close to the relegation zone, uh, managed to equalize, uh, and uh, they looked in certain stretches of the game, arguably even the more threatening side. Uh, as uh, Ajax, of course, in the second half managed to pull away, but their, their defense never really looked convincing, and, and that has been a problem this season as we've previously explore, explored. So there's still lots of work to do at Ajax. We might uh, look into them perhaps in greater detail at some point, but for now, We've got more, of course, as it's a Monday. Quickly, let me just mention a quick relegation six, well, not relegation six, but one of the uh, sides involved uh, at, at the bottom, uh, FC Volendam, who beat bottom side Groningen uh, 3-2 to make it, uh, well, I believe it's about three wins uh, since the World Cup, World Cup break for them. And, and that means that they uh, are the second most uh, successful side in the league uh, after the end of the World Cup. And they, of course, went into that break at the bottom of the table and have now pulled themselves out of the relegation zone. Of course, troubling times at Groningen, who uh, in midweek had a home match against fellow relegation battlers Kambur, uh, interrupted for a while because uh, fans stormed the pitch at a point when they were 1-0 uh, down and, of course, they ended up losing that 1-0. So, it's some really concerning times that are going in. Uh, they might be staring at relegation for the first time in, in about 10 years, I think. Last time they were in the second division was 2011-12. Uh, so, yeah. Traveling times at going in. Basically, what you need to take away from this is that Eredivisie is just mad at all ends. So, as I said before, if there's one league you're going to watch, make it the Eredivisie. Uh, right, quickly, let me also mention uh, what FC Zurich have been doing. Of course, we covered them on Friday with uh, Craig King, who's, of course, a Swiss football expert. Finally, Zurich have managed to win a game, and it doesn't look like they can do things normally this season because uh, they, they had a man sent off about 15 minutes in, played most of the match down the man, managed to hold on to a nil-nil, and then late, late on, about 88 minutes in, they scored from a set-piece. Uh, to come away with a one nail win, uh, and this at least temporarily pulls them out of the relegate of uh, rather last place. Uh, the are second from bottom now. Uh, although Winterthur below them have played a game fewer uh, and still are level on points, so they they could well get leaves out again. But uh, I think as as we concluded with Craig, it does look like that they should be able to avoid relegation unless they have another major catastrophe. While, while we're in Switzerland, let me also quickly mention uh, a, a, a bit of derby drama between uh, Servet uh, and Sion, where uh, Servet, who are up in third, uh, went 2-0 up, and then Sion had a player sent off. It was all looking rather comfortable for them. And that's all in the first half, mind you. Uh, but then Sion uh, pulled one back 15 minutes in, and then in the 85th minute, an own goal led to an equalizer. 
uh, for Sion. So the 10 men managed to rescue a point from Tunnel Down. Servet later registered a complaint with the league because they claimed their players had been distracted uh, by flares lit by the away fans. And they want, uh, what, do they want to replay? I think they do. Uh, but, well, I, I, I don't know if that they're going to get it. And certainly they definitely have themselves to blame for uh, throwing away Tunnel lead with a player advantage. Uh, but, yep, Swiss Super League as well. Uh, no, no, not too less dramatic than the LBC, although not quite there yet. They still need to give a 5-5 game before I can say that. Uh, well, we've, we've got loads of other matches too. So, I, I guess we'll just uh, shout out a few results. Uh, let's see. Let, let's start in Brazil where we mentioned the Super Cup. This was not a half-bad game either. Palmeiras 4, uh, Flamengo 3. And again, much like the Azad game, it, it, we didn't have a side racing to a lead and then someone pulling them, pulling a few goals back late on. This was very much blow for blow. Uh, Flamengo took the lead uh, from the penalty spot after about half an hour. Palmeiras just about scored twice before the halftime break to go into halftime with the lead. And then there were more such uh, exchanges in goals in the second half. But finally, of course, it was Palmeiras who came away with uh, the Super Cup title. Uh, speaking of Cups, we, we also had one in Portugal, as we mentioned. Uh, uh, Porto against Sporting in, in the League Cup final. And Rafael was watching that one. So, Rafael, quickly tell us about that game. Yeah, um, this game probably wasn't as uh, dramatic or basketball-like as the Brazilian Cup final, but um, it, was, it, it went quite under the radar on Saturday evening. Not many people were talking about it from what I've seen. But what it lacked in relevancy, it definitely didn't lack in quality. Well, at least from sporting side anyway. Um, the opener from Steven Escusio. Estacchio. Yeah. Sorry if I um, announced that completely wrong. Was a lovely strike into the top corner, 10 minutes in. Um, I must say Adnan, the uh, sporting keeper, made an absolute meal of it from what I've seen. They showed an angle from the side of it where he pretty much fumbled it in. But it was still a lovely strike um, from the midfielder. A couple of minutes later, Marcus Edwards equalised from a quick transition move from Sporting. Um, but he was offside, literally millimetres offside. Um, and it was ruled out. But they were quite unlucky, Sporting. Created a load of chances, especially in the first half. Um, there was chances where from Nuno Santos, I think Pedro Porro hit the bar as well. They were pretty unlucky not to finish a couple of the chances they had inside the box. But um, their unluckiness continued as Paulinho got a red card, a second yellow for apparently catching a player in the face. Um, but from the angle I seen, he was pretty unlucky to get sent off there because it seemed like, again, the player made a complete meal out of that. Um, but Porro capitalised. They scored a the second. They killed the game off from a nice header. Um, I actually want to shout out Zach Lowy for this start. Um, Porto have equaled Benfica for the most trophies in Portugal now with 83. And they've won the last four trophies up for grabs in Portugal, including the league title and the last two domestic cups as well. So for them, they've just been incredible in the Sergio Cancel. I think that's what nine trophies in nine seasons now as well. And then for Sporting, this season is pretty much a season to forget. Pedro Porro apparently off to sports Spurs as well. For Ruben Amaron, it's just not been a, a last grade two season since winning the league title. So 
yeah, Fernando just wanted to forget about this season as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I think it was from Zach. Uh, I saw a tweet which said that uh, Porto obviously have won loads of trophies over eighty, but this was their first League Cup title, I believe. I I have to fact yeah, check that. Yeah, yeah. So pretty incredible, actually, that stat. But yeah, uh, of course, you mentioned Poro. I uh, we we will get onto transfers first later. But I think I saw that the deal sort of off because Sporting. Oh really? Yeah, I think I saw something like that. So I I don't know what's going on there. Really? But we we we'll discuss that a bit later. Uh, yeah. But well, what else have we got? We've got. Uh, Oh yes, we've got Aberdeen, who's like uh, Jim Goodwin after six 0 loss to Hibernian. Of course, we mentioned them uh, on Friday after their uh, loss to Darwell uh, in the cup, which was one of the most incredible cup results I've seen uh, this this year at least in 2023. Uh, speaking of cups, of course, we had the FA Cup in England, uh, Wrexham three, Sheffield United three. <laughs> uh, what can I say? I mean, I think everyone was watching this game at least given. The amount of coverage it had been given, but it certainly lived up to all the hype. Uh, genuinely, felt like a scripted game at times, given uh, how, how Sheffield United scored first, uh, so early on. Uh, but then, of course, Wrexham came back in the second half. Sheffield went a man down. Wrexham scored in, in the 86th minute. And look, for all the world then, that they would pull off yet another incredible upset in the cup. Uh, but that was not to be uh, a late... Equalizes from a corner uh, after they scored a couple of set piece goals uh, from John Egan. Uh, takes this one to a replay. We'll of course be watching that. Uh, but yeah, just, just an absolute incredible cup time. Yet again, more proof as to why uh, cup football is the best, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but but let, let's get back to some leagues though. Uh, let's go to quickly to Belgium, where Club Brugge uh, have finally won a football match after eight. After seven, sorry, unsuccessful attempts, uh, they've done it. And it's, it's of course, Scott Parker's first win. Uh, in charge, they beat uh, Sulte Varagem uh, by two goals to one. N- not the most convincing of wins again, but, well, for them, certainly, all, all that matters is that they got uh, all three points on the board. Uh, let's, let's also head over to France quickly. Uh, yeah, we've got, let's, let's first talk about uh, PSG against Ras, uh, where... Uh, the visitors uh, scored a 96-minute equaliser through uh, Arsenal Loney uh, Fularin Balogun to make it 13 games unbeaten uh, for 30-year-old Will still uh, in charge of France. Uh, still, story is actually pretty incredible as well. I, I think uh, there's various pieces on him, but I, I remember reading an interview from the coach's voice. I think I'll, I'll link that in the tweet uh, below. But it's it's quite incredible what he's doing because. Uh, I think he's he's the first. He was the first manager to go uh, unbeaten in his first eight games in charge of Ras, and of course he's extending that run. Now un- unbeaten home and away against PSG this season in the league because his first match was at home to the champions, which ended nil nil, and they absolutely deserved the point. It was not a case of them getting a smash and grab uh, late equalizer because I thought they were the better side. Of course, PSG had a player sent off in the second half as well. But they were absolutely very good value for the point, maybe even deserved all three. So, uh, great stuff from Ras. And uh, Alex has got something from League the for us. What have you got, Alex? I've got a story on the Av, who are currently winning League the ahead of Bordeaux, uh, Mets, who got relegated, and a few other teams we'll quickly touch on as well. Uh, they're an interesting team because if you've never heard of them, they are the team that 
gave well they gave the careers to Paul Pogba, Riyad Mahrez, and Aliti and other huge French and, and North African talents. They've got an immense reputation in France as being the best youth developers, very good on the mental side of the game. Uh, they've not been in Liga for a really long time, but I remember following them last season, being in and around the promotion spots. It looks like they're gonna head. It looks like they're gonna head to the top flight. They got a one-one draw at the weekend against Amiens, who were in Ligue 2 a few years ago. And it's interesting the team. I, I will say there's not many proper young talents. The one I would look out for is uh, Elias uh, Mahmoud, who's completed about three dribbles per ninety, one of the best in the league. And they've only conceded about eight goals. Yeah, this season they've really built on the defense it's also worth touching on the table as well because you know anyone who's got a slight interest in French football will know some names that they might be surprised here are doing so badly like Dijon in the in the league two years ago they're currently 16th Nimes are in around there as well but the biggest one San Etienne one of the biggest clubs in French football you'd have some people arguing the biggest are just one point off the bottom they are 19th in the league and look ready to be going down so some really interesting stuff going on in the league. Uh, keep an eye on the table as the season progresses. Yep, absolutely. We'll perhaps devote some more time to that one. So, of course, I believe St. Etienne had a points deduction too for one of their league games last season, maybe against Bordeaux, actually, uh, where their fans stormed the pitch. So, But, of course, it's just more than the points deduction. They've been really poor this season, as you say. And uh, perhaps I uh, want to focus on as well. And uh, you, you, well, if we're mentioning Lafayette, of course, we have to mention, we have to shout out the doc, who, of course, uh, is a data analyst for them. Uh, and of course, he was on the pod uh, with us discussing Anderlecht uh, a little while back. Uh, and of course, Anderlecht got a draw at Antwerp uh, this weekend. So let me quickly just mention that as well. Uh, what else have we got? Let, let's go over to a couple of other leagues in Europe uh, La Liga. Uh, nice result was uh, Real Valladolid uh, beating Valencia 1-0 uh, with uh, uh, Kyle Larin, uh, of course, a ca- ca- Canadian international, scoring a stoppage time winner on his Valladolid uh, debut to end a streak of five straight losses for them. Uh, and then I think it was just a few, a couple of hours before we started recording this podcast uh, that uh, Valencia released a statement uh, saying that uh, Gattuso, General Gattuso, their manager, had been sacked. Uh, elsewhere in La Liga last night, uh, perhaps the, the biggest news of the day was uh, Iñaki Williams's incredible streak of 251 consecutive appearances coming to an end uh, due to uh, a knee injury or a muscle injury, some sort of injury basically. But of course, that, that's a La Liga record. I think the previous one was close to 202 or something. Uh, and I don't, I can't see anyone getting anywhere near that. Uh, at least... It, in, in in this sort of a format where there's close to 50 matches really for most of the clubs every season and you know everyone has to rotate and rest players so uh, yeah, that, yeah that's just an incredible streak uh, so just wanted to shout that out uh, we've also got uh, oh yeah over in Romania let me quickly mention uh, Farul Constanza who I of course spoke of before who lost some incredible drama they were 2-1 uh, down uh, to Fetche Sebe uh, in going into stoppage time in their match. Uh, then uh, Fetisebe had a player sent off. And then Farul scored twice in about five minutes to turn the game around uh, and, and take the lead and win uh, and temporarily go back up to the top of the table after their uh, loss to Cluj uh, last Monday. Of, uh, Cluj are playing as we speak. Uh, and unless they win, Farul will remain at the top of the table. 
Uh, I think currently the score is nil nil uh, at half time. Well, well, the the last game also was a nil nil at half time, and then Faru lost some like four nil in the end. So I don't wanna I don't wanna jinx that again. But uh, I want to keep an eye on, of course. Uh, elsewhere, of course, we had some restarting leagues as we mentioned. The Zweite Bundesliga, dramatic as ever. Uh, the Liga Profesional in Argentina. Some some interesting results there. Most notably, of course, uh, as I mentioned uh, on Friday. Was Boca Juniors against Atlético Tucumán, who were both title contenders last season. Uh, Boca came away with a one-nil win there. Uh, an- another big result I found in South America was uh, O'Higgins smashing uh, Chilean uh, defending Chilean champions Colo Colo five-one. I didn't I didn't watch the match admittedly, but I, but I don't know what that happened there because that's a huge result. Uh, and well, I mean as I said. Uh, I, I'm no expert on Chilean football, but maybe is is that a sign that we might have a close title race this season? Are Colo Colo slipping? Uh, I, I guess we'll see in in upcoming months. Uh, quick quick mention for a big match in Africa in Tunisia, where the top two uh, faced off this weekend. Uh, Etoile du Sahel are the league leaders, and they hosted Esperance, who are probably the country's most famous club, certainly the most successful in terms of titles by some way. They have over 30 league titles. Uh, and it was Espinos who, who managed to win uh, 2-1 at the final score. And with that, they closed the gap down uh, to the league leaders down to just one point. So the, the top two are separated by a point and the, the side in third are about 10 points below Espinos in the table. So it's a very much a two-horse race uh, up there. Uh, and, and of course, uh, the Tunisian Liga is split into two groups. Uh, and and then there's a title uh, championship playoff, uh, so doesn't really mean much at the moment. But uh, this in Group A was a f- fairly big encounter. Uh, what else have we got? We've got a couple from Ben. Actually, he's, he's not with us uh, recording this podcast, but uh, he 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 left us on Friday with a couple of big games to watch, and, and I have to say, this did not disappoint. Over in Poland, uh, the, the match you mentioned, uh, which you watched uh, against Pogon Szczesny. I hope I'm saying those names right, but I'm not. <laughs> so, apologies for that. But anyways, that game, 3-3. Three, three. Uh, absolutely crazy into the match, he says. There were five goals in the last uh, uh, 20 minutes. And, and the final one, the equaliser, came in the 99th minute. So, in the ninth minute of stoppage time from the penalty spot. So, some incredible drama there. And then over uh, in Asia, the game he mentioned was uh, Buriram United uh, against uh, John Buri. And, and that ended 2-0 relatively, well, certainly not as dramatic as the other one. But th- there was some uh, perhaps off-field drama going on there uh, because uh, apparently we've seen reports which say that uh, John Buri uh, taped the CCTV cameras in the dressing room. Of course, they were playing uh, at Buriram Stadium. Uh, because in in the Thai league, cameras are illegal in dressing rooms. Uh, he, he Ben's left a link a tweet uh, for us, so I, I'll put that down uh, in the thread below this podcast uh, tweet as well. Uh, but yeah, perhaps that's one to, uh, situation to monitor. So uh, some some interesting drama going on there, and I'm seeing speculation of uh, uh, some potential sanctions or something. I I, I don't know what's going to happen honestly, uh, but yeah. Uh, and we've also got Alex with another game. Uh, he's got Charlton against Bolton in England. W- what have you to say about this one? It's the only time in about six years that I've watched a game outside of Europe's top five leagues. Well, outside of Europe's top five leagues 
divisions, our top divisions, that's the best way to put it. I don't watch the English Championship or League One or League Two, but my dad does, big Bolton fan, and he took me uh, to this game, well, I took him rather to this game at the weekend, but I was pleasantly surprised, and I'm going to come away, and uh, thankfully there is a frantic football podcast where this fits in. Um, Ian Evitt, the Bolton manager, keep an eye out for him in future. He's early 40s. You read into his, I read into him before the game. Uh, his previous club, Barrow, non-league side, got promoted. They were nicknamed Barrow Salona because of the high possession football they play. And you're like, sure, you hear that every day or whatever. They played Charlton away from home and absolutely blew them apart, playing football better than most game, most teams you'll see in Europe's top divisions. Like the, the football they put in together was absolutely brilliant. Also, the players they were bringing on were ridiculous. They brought on Cameron Jerome in the final five minutes to see out the game. Still playing. Uh, I should have mentioned the score, sorry. It was 2-1. Uh, first goal, amazing free kick. One of the best you'll see all season. Bent into the top corner inside three minutes. Second one, really well worked off. Um, header across goal, uh, leaving an open net for their striker Charles uh, to score his length goal of the season. Bolton, former Premier League side, they're on their way into the playoffs uh, to go back to the championship. But Ian Everett, he is a top-class manager. Go back to this podcast in five or six years' time when everyone is talking about him. Wow, I just want to add something really quick. I just want to add. I watched that game. Um, I watched it on TV, and um, Bolton have a couple of Premier League loanies. They got Shola Shiriti. They got Connor Bradley, James Trafford, who's got fourteen clean sheets this season. Who's on loan from Man City, and um, like Alex has said, this side is really promising. They got some really promising players, and uh, yeah, definitely have a look at them um, with the season to come. I'm so glad you brought out Trafford in goal. He was at fault for the the for Charlton's goal, like a bit of a blunder. But he's only 20. But it, it looked like he was playing like a you know a basic Edison. He was so comfortable in possession. You yeah. don't see that at League One level. Yeah. Well, that's some high high praise indeed for you from you guys. Uh, I I genuinely don't know if I can afford to squeeze in League One football uh, in my <laughs> schedule. You guys are really tempting me. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of low league football, I, I I also noticed Ben's being bitten by the Serie B bug because I I was watch, I was just going through his Twitter feed and and uh, he, he was talking about the incredible backdrops they have and then I think he just posted uh with one of his uh his team radar his team style radar visualizations so yep we we we've got love for low league football out here as well so let's of course let's see how Bolton goes and. Uh, as uh, Alex said before, we will also be keeping an eye on League Duh and various other leagues. Uh, but uh, for now, that's about it for the matches we've got. But of course, as promised, we've got tons and tons of transfers to tuck into. So let's move on to that now. Okay, transfers. Wow, it's, it's been an absolutely incredible weekend. Of course, it's the last weekend before the end of the January window. And and there's been some mad moves all over the place. I mean, we've barely been able to keep track. But we'll we'll do our best. We we'll try to recap some of the biggest and some of the best, perhaps slightly under the radar moves as we always do. So so let's start with one of those. Let's start with Isa Laiduni to Union Berlin, which is four million uh, euros. This is the, uh, you know we we spoke about uh, how Union and Hertha have had. Construct, uh, contrasting fortune, sorry, earlier uh, in the podcast. And I think that this this sort of uh, business sums it up because Hertha in this position would, I'm, I'm guessing, spend at least double the amount of money uh, on some player. Uh, and Union, 
are, are the sort of club who will make these sort of smarter signings because they've got a, a really good player in Isla Tunisian international, of course, he was at the World Cup and he's been quite impressive for Ferenc Varos in Hungary as well. And for just four million, I think that, that is a very, very good and very smart move. So, you know, as I said, that's typical Union and, and, and that's really the key to their success. Perhaps a slightly un-Union transfer is Isco joining them but on a free, of course, at the end of the season. Uh, and he's also got a contract, uh, a clause in his contract, sorry, to extend for another season. So I, I'm interested to see how he gets on. Of course, he, he left Real Madrid last summer, went to Sevilla, but that didn't quite work out and he was released uh, in December. So... I mean, I, I don't know how this will go, but I'm interested to see. And it's, as I said, it's not one transfer that really fits Union's overall policy. But uh, I think g- given their track record, I, I trust them to know what they're doing. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, we've got a world record offer uh, that just came in less than an hour maybe before this podcast, at least reports, uh, that Arsenal made for Manchester United forward uh, Alessia Russo. Uh, I don't. Do we know the fee? I don't think we know the fee. I think we just know that it's a world record offer. It's gonna be more than uh, four hundred thousand, which Kira Walsh went to Barcelona for. Yeah. So looking outwards, five hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly a very uh, interesting transfer. Again, very late in the window. What what are your thoughts on this offer? So obviously, um, David Weinstein from the Athletic broke it. Um, no more than an hour ago that uh, Arsenal have put in a bid for Alessio Russo, um, Manchester United forward for the women's team. Um, she's Her contract's out at the end of the season. So is uh, Mary Earps, the goalkeeper. Both played for England, both won the Euros with England. Both are vital to England winning the Euros. Um, Arsenal have Beth Mead and uh, Miedema out injured, long-term injuries. So... Uh, their managers come out and said they're in the market for forward, they're in, for, and they're in the market for a high-profile forward, which Alessio Russo is. Um, I put this out. I put this out on Twitter. Um, this would be a shambolic move for Manchester United if they let this happen. Manchester United at top of the WSL, um, drawn on points with Chelsea, and three points ahead of Arsenal. They're in a title challenge. They're in the running to get Champions League football for the first time in their history since um, being founded back in 2018, I believe. So to let your best attacker, to let your striker, Ella, Ella Toon's their best attacker, but to let your, your, your striker go, who's got five goals in nine games, to go to a, a, a title challenger would be idiotic, really. Even if a contract's out at the end of the season, they have an option to extend same with Mera Ups as well. So it's not like they'll be le- they'll be losing her on a free in the summer. So for 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 Arsenal, this is this is ambitious. This is this is brave of them. They know it's going to be rejected because they know the the club that they're going to, they know the, the player they're asking for. And for Manchester United, uh, I think they just need to they just need to stand strong by the time in negotiations. They've been in negotiations with Alessio Russo for some time now. Still no breakthrough, but you're, we're hearing it every week. There's there's confidence growing in that deal from both parties that a deal can be done. Alessio Russo is a Manchester United fan. Um, very similar to actually Marcus Rashford in the men's team. You expect this deal to be eventually extended. So, yeah. But definitely a, a very interesting uh, build there from Arsenal, as you say. 
Uh, let's take a look at some more such interesting moves. Uh, Azedin Unahi finally has finalized his move away from Angers. He's going to Marseille. Uh, Alex has been following this guy, who's of course sensational at the World Cup. Uh, what do you think about this move, Alex? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this one. He's in you know, one of the top percentiles for midfielders in Europe for dribbles penalty. Angers look like they're going down this season, to be honest. So he needs to get out. Um, I think a lot of people know on Arhi from the World Cup, so I kind of want to focus on the Marseille angle of this move. I think this is a very good, stable move for the club. In recent years, they've kind of uh, sort of chopped and changed between sort of middling league and players, trying to turn them into bigger players or more experienced players. Recently, right, they've signed Alexis Sanchez and Dennis Suarez uh, from La Liga. They sold Suarez because they changed their manager. They brought in Corrad de la Fuente from Barcelona, sold him. Bamba Dieng loaned him to Lorient. It's been lots of chops and changes. I think Unahi is maybe the first time since, like, maybe even a Piat where they've signed someone who is about to be banging their prime and is really well valued, could have gone to a Premier League club and it puts, again, what some people argue is the biggest club in France. It certainly was until PSG came about, back on the map. And I think this will be, if they can keep Igor Tudor at the clubs and he can keep them stable and get them Champions League football and more crucially gets them it next season, then Inahi will hopefully just be one of uh, many big moves to Marseille and then they become a serious challenge to PSG. Yeah, very very interesting. Definitely for just, uh, what is it, about 8 million euros, uh, a great deal, at least mm. in terms of the transfer fee. Uh, one much more polarising move, uh, especially given the transfer fee, has been Anthony Gordon uh, to Newcastle. Of course, lots of lots of discourse about this. Is he, is he worth this fee? What do you think, Rafael? Yeah, as you said, very polarizing um, from many people. Even even the neutrals are getting their um, their teeth into this one, as you say. But but I think it's first. I think it's first uh, important to address the fee. So obviously, forty million with um, potential five million in add-ons. Um, but I think what's important to address is this is a lot of money for a player whose ceiling and floor is still unclear. It's still unclear what type of player Anthony Gordon is going to be. It's still unclear how good Anthony Gordon is going to be or how good Anthony Gordon actually is. Um, but it's also to it's also important to remember Newcastle are the richest club in world football, like by a lot. They're, they're the richest club in world football by a lot of money, a lot of money. So 40 million to them is is a drop in the ocean, really. Even if they've not shown it um, so far, they will show in the future that 40 million to them is is is, is the kind of the average money they're going to be throwing around for players. Um, as for Everton, the selling club, um, then huge financial trouble. We've we've seen it very documented by various of people that they are in a huge financial mess as a business, but as a football club obviously in a relegation battle. So 40 million for them, despite the relationship Anthony Gordon has with the club, he was born two minutes away from Goodison Park. So he is not just a player for the football club, he's a fan of the football club. 40 million for them in January is huge. It, 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 it can be season-changing money for them. Um, for Newcastle, they're getting a player with a moldable skill set, a skill set that Eddie Howe desires in wingers, as we've seen with Almiron and Joy Linton. 
to have that kind of tenacious off the ball worker, but he's also adept at giving you a weapon in transition. Um, Quentin Golden will provide, and I'm sure he'll he will enjoy working under Eddie Howe and vice versa. For Everton, um, I actually seen they put in a 20 million bid for Kalamadine Sulemana, who plays for Rennes right now, which is an incredible which if was to get done would be an incredible business. Like that would be transitional business. Um Suleiman has had his uh his critics in France due to his inconsistencies, but the talent is there. We've seen that talent in Northland. And if he was to come to the Premier League for what would be half of Anthony Gordon's uh fee, I think Everton would have done sensational business in that. I've also seen their link to Conor Gallagher. They put in a 14 million bid for that. Um, I think that is very interesting, but I think that would also be a very polarizing move because Conor Gallagher is a player who is renowned for his tenacious off the ball work, but his lack of technical quality um, in terms of his passing and, and whatnot is not what Everton need. Everton need a, a player in the midfield that can get the ball, can pick can pick it from the centre back and progress it, not this off the ball work. They've got loads of them. They've got Idris Ganagay, they've got Andre Onana, they've got Alex Wobie, they've got all these incredible workers off the ball, but that technical quality is still lacking that midfield. So if they were to spend what they just got for Anthony Gordon onto Conor Gallagher, who apparently doesn't even want to come to Everton, who are in a relegation battle, would be quite funny. But Everton as a football club right now are quite an interesting one. Their, their business is always interesting. And in the last day of the window, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who, who they actually eventually get with the money they've got from Gordon. Yeah, of course, uh, speaking of Everton, just today we announced that uh, Sean Dyche is going to be the next manager. Uh, I think we spoke to Matt uh, about this last week. He came on as a guest later on uh, in our podcast when Frank Lampard had been sacked, I think, on this day last week. Uh, and yeah, I think Dyche is probably the most realistic option for them. He will certainly give them, uh, you know, the, the basics, as they call it, you know, basic stability. Like the, he'll probably try and sort their defense out certainly make them better uh, in transition because they've been terrible lately. So It's funny It's funny you say that, Neil, because Sean Dyche, Anthony Gordon's the type of winger Sean Dyche would have loved. He would have absolutely loved Dwight McNeil yeah. Sean Dyche and Dwight McNeil, yeah. you know, as his wide men, you know, in that kind of 4-4-2, uh, uh, mid-block, high-pressing team at Goodison Park. He would have loved an Anthony Gordon. He's the type of player that he could get him onto his side and use him as a foil in this relegation battle. But obviously, Anthony Gordon wanted to leave. And I think it's a very good deal for Anthony Gordon to get. Obviously, he was rumoured to Chelsea in January in the summer for 60 million. That didn't materialise. But to go to Newcastle, who are, in my opinion, in an arguably better position than Chelsea, is really good for him and his career. I think if I was Anthony Gordon, I would have paid money myself to leave Everton and go to Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you disagree. In fairness, so if I'm if I'm Anthony Gordon at Everton, I'd pay just to leave to anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, we we discussed this uh, last week with Matt Ridia. Uh, not great times at Everton, shall we say? Speaking of big money moves, let me just quickly say this because I just saw some uh, news about it. Uh, Chelsea paying something around one hundred and twenty million euros for Enzo Fernandez. Uh, not sure if. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't say for certain based on what I'm reading if the deal is definitely done. Seeing some people saying it will be done, some people saying uh, Benfica is still discussing it. Uh, but basically, that's a mad amount of money. 
I, I mean, everyone saw Fernandez at the World Cup. You know, top, top class player, great potential, great talent, no doubt about it. But man, that's a lot of money. That's 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 all I'm going to say. I think. I mean, uh, you know, Chelsea's business. I mean, we we've got another uh, Chelsea. Well, now Chelsea player to discuss uh, later on as well. But yeah, man, they've been spending lots of money. Okay, let's talk about right backs because uh, rumor is that every right back is deciding to make a transfer in the last two days of the window. Uh, well, one of them who actually might not end up doing it, uh, or at least because of his club, is, is Pedro Porro. It looked for all the world really that he was going to Spurs, uh, but apparently Sporting have decided to slightly change their mind on uh, the terms agreed off the deal, and now it's back up in the air again. He may go, he may not go. Either way, he, he's a really interesting player, really talented player, uh, and Alex has been following him. So let's 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 hear about Pedro Porra, Alex, quickly. Yeah, I've managed to speak about him a few times over the past week. Like I said, I think discussion is ongoing. Not sure if it'll go through or not. Hopefully, it does. Um, but Pedro Porro, he's a very well-rounded player, in my opinion. He's for Sporting. He typically plays wing back, but you can sometimes see him playing to like drop into a back three in possession. Uh, most of the time, though, he's been very high, very wide. He doesn't rank too high goals and assists. I think he's, in fact, they're a bit inflated by the, the fact he weirdly takes penalties for sporting, which is quite a fun fact to a right wing back. Uh, his crossing is really diverse, has lots of different techniques there. And I think the biggest thing for Spurs is that he's quick and aggressive. Nothing like they've really got or what they're playing at Spurs in Emerson and Matt Doherty. Um, so Pedro Borro would be a large amount of money, but I think he'd be a great move for Spurs. But of course, that would usually, if with Pedro Porro. Emerson and Matt Doherty and Jed Spence that would been they'd have four right backs they probably need to loan one of those out right hmm are you suggesting they loan Jed Spence out I think I am Raphael what's the latest on that yes of course as you've said uh, they will have to loan a player out and it seems they will be loaning Jed Spence out to Stad Renz um, yeah as Alex has said they've got a cluster of right backs different right backs different profiles of right backs Jed Spence hasn't played a m- a lot on the Conte. In fact, he's a uh, game time event. He hasn't started a Premier League game on the Conte yet, which is very interesting considering the amount of competition for his signature in the summer with the likes of Arsenal, Manchester United looking at him. Um, I think this this long move is interesting. Uh, Jeff Spence was linked to clubs like Crystal Palace and Brentford, uh, clubs that traditionally or have um, recently like to use their wing backs as kind of uh, attacking outlets to get them to get them out of of their opposition out of their area into the opposition and so go to so to go to the team like Stade Rennes in France where fullbacks are not underappreciated but they're not as appreciated as they would have been uh, as they will be if he was to go to the clubs he was linked to um, earlier in this window is interesting obviously for him as a young boy from London to go to France. I think that would be a culture change as well. It would be actually very interesting how he adapts to that culture in France, but I think he'll enjoy it. And yeah, obviously the Antonio Conte's future at Spurs is all up in the air. Jeff Spence could come back, have a good loan spell in France, come back to a new manager. It might be Ruben Amaron, you never know. So it'll be interesting how he uh, he takes that loan spell. And it'll be interesting how his future at Spurs goes because Pedro Porro is 24 around that age he's not he's not he's not an old guy he's very young 
you know. So he's gonna he's gonna be coming in for big money. He's gonna look to make that position his own for a long time. So Jess Spence might have to a year into his Tottenham contract might have to be looking at exits already. So it'll be interesting what happens with Jess Spence in the future, especially at Tottenham. Definitely, yeah. And let's go now from London to France to the other way, but back in France temporarily. I'm of course talking about uh, Malo Gusto, who has agreed a deal with Chelsea. Uh, the fee is about 30 million euros, uh, something in that range. But he, he is going to stay at Lyon for the rest of the season. He's been loaned back there. Alex has been following uh, Gusto as well. So, Alex, w- w- what do you think about this move? Uh, it's horrific from a Lyon perspective. Um, a lot of people have said the fee, 30 million euros for pounds, is so cheap because Gusto. His contract runs out in 2024, but with the amount Chelsea have been chucking around for players, and I am going to say chucking around, like Enzo Fernandez, 120 million, like more like uh, like 63 million up front, and then add-ons. Malogusto could be one could end up being one of the best right backs in Europe. So the fact Leon have got only 30 million years for him is criminal. They have to have some ridiculous clauses in that contract, which is like, if he plays a game, they get another million on top because they've been ripped off. Gusto, he needs to work a bit on his defensive game. He's a little bit naive still, but attacking-wise, absolutely phenomenal. He's been like a... I remember tweeting it last year, actually, when he broke into the team. That at 18 years old, he wasn't like a, a very good, you know, young prospect. He was just flat out a good right-back, a good right-back at Liga level. Um, it, it, the the only bad thing for Chelsea I can see from this move is like, what are you going to do with him and Reese James? Are they both going to fight for minutes? Uh, Chelsea banking on Reese James getting injured often? Are they putting Reese James at right centre back because Gusto is not going to be a bench option for long? He he's far better than that. He's probably good enough to play some games now in the Premier League against the lower tier teams. Um, but yeah, I'll be watching this very keenly. I don't think it's been said enough how much ridiculous talent Chelsea have got on their hands. He's also, I should say as well, he is a he came through as a midfielder in his youth and he's been convert, converted to a right-back. So Trent Alexander-Arnold vibes, but he's much more direct down the line. Yeah, as you say, really interesting move and really interesting that Chelsea are, well, they're holding players in all sorts of positions, but, the, you know, they could have two world-class right-backs, really. Uh, and of course, as you know, famously on a football pitch, you can only play one right back at a time. So, uh, we, we'll see how that goes. Uh, quickly, yeah, let me just mention the move uh, f- away from Lyon. Another one, a, a loan move uh, for Romain Favre to uh, Lorient, uh, which I found interesting because Favre is a, is a player who I quite enjoyed watching. Uh, I think last season it was, but he, he's not really had a lot of minutes uh, under the new manager uh, at Lyon. Uh, and it, 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 so, I think it's, it's best for him that he goes to Lorient, who are, of course, uh, having a really impressive season, just about challenging for Europe still. Uh, and if he can get, if he can maybe push them uh, into those European spots, then th- that would be amazing. So, an interesting move uh, that as well. That, that's, of course, his loan till the end of the season. Uh, let, me, let me quickly mention a couple of other uh, under the radar moves I said. Uh, one of them was uh, Jobe Vettessen uh, joining uh, Union Saint-Gilbert on loan from PSOE. I think that's also a straightforward loan till the end of the season. Uh, Vettessen is an interesting talent. Uh, of course, he, he's, he's a striker, 22 years old now. Hasn't, hasn't really, he's made over 70 appearances for PSOE really, but hasn't uh, managed to really break into the side uh, regularly. So I think it's best for him that he 
uh, takes a move away, having come through the youth academy, uh, to get some minutes. Of course, we discussed Union on Friday. They lost. Uh, Dante was there. We also discussed PSV bringing in Fabio Silva, so they've got their strikers, and Union need a striker. So I, th- I think it's a pretty good loan move for all involved. Well, also, I, I'm just seeing these reports as well of uh, Huang Uijo, uh, who's at Olympiacos currently uh, from on loan from Nottingham Forest, but they do have an option to buy. Uh, but he is being linked to uh, MLS, and I think he'd be a, a superb signing uh, for uh, uh, MLS, as, as, as was uh, Dante was there. Because th- this guy's been, he's really been lighting up the Greek Super League. He's definitely been one of the best players there this season. And yeah, I, I think, again, as Ben said on the podcast on Friday, it's once again showing that the sort of the evolution of MLS, of course, uh, Huang Guizhou is 30, so he's not exactly a young player developing, but he, he's certainly still, uh, you know, close to his prime years uh, or, you know, n- not, not, not exactly going there to retire. So that, that's a, that would be a very good move, of course, if it happens. Uh, and yeah, finally, just one I'd like to mention that I just uh, managed to see was uh, Salomon, uh, sorry, Salomon Rondon, who you've probably heard of uh, from his time in England, uh, joining River Plate uh, on a free transfer. Uh, we'll see how he, how he goes along. Of course, we'll be following the Argentine Liga Professional closely as well. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's quite an interesting signing there as well. Well, uh, I think that's about it. That's all we've got for today. Uh, loads and loads of transfers, as we said. And some really interesting games over the weekend. More to come in the week, of course. We've got uh, lots of lots of cup fixtures, uh, full round of Liga fixtures, full round of the Scottish Premiership, uh, Turkish Super League, and the FIFA Cup World Cup is getting underway. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll probably be discussing some of those things on Friday, as well as of course previewing the weekend's action more importantly. And that uh, as we head into February uh, and start moving on to Patreon, that episode will be on Patreon. So if, if you can, uh, and if you if you want to get more of, uh, of the Fantasy Football Podcast, more of f- football from all over the world, uh, and if you can, then, then we would really appreciate it if you could join us over on Patreon as well. Uh, but until then, uh, that's about it uh, for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening in. Thanks a lot to Alex and Raphael for their time and insights. Uh, and see you on Friday. Goodbye.